All right. <clears throat> okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. I was told that we have many people to pray for today. Um, and so I guess they're going to come just for the prayer. Uh, in case I forget to mention, um, next week there's no EMP. Right? So usually we have every Wednesday EMP. <laughs> but next week there's no EMP. And then the following week we resume every Wednesday as per usual. Okay? So every Wednesday we're meeting in the SP office, just in case I forget to say that tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> I'll probably have to say it again. <laughs> I'll have to say it again. Okay. Um, we're going on to Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from the place to place until he came to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where, the, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose up between Abram's herders and lots. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of the Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now raise your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as plentiful as the dust of the earth, so that, it, if, so that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be counted. Arise, walk about in the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Um, God makes a promise that one day Abraham will possess this land. God makes a promise that one day his descendants, his children, would be uncountable. A couple of things are happening here. Uh, quite fascinating. I think, it's, I think it's really interesting. If you look at verses 8 and 9, um, Abraham, I mentioned yesterday that they had left their home and most biblical scholars actually believe that God gave Abraham the call earlier. So we read yesterday, you know, uh, what it looks like chronologically is Abraham stops in uh, Haran, halfway, right? After about five years, their family settles. The whole family settles. They're supposed to go to Canaan. Um, but most scholars believe that they were called even before in their previous home. 
And that was the call where Abraham, God said, leave your family, leave your father's house, leave your possessions, and I'll make you, you know, I'll show you where to go, and I'll make you great. Um, and so if you look at it in that context, right, what happens is Abraham actually uh, brought his whole family, right? And then I told you, there's a, there's a, if, you, if you cross-reference scripturally, uh, in, in the book of Acts, there's a reference to Abraham and his family. And if you also cross-reference in Joshua uh, 24, I think I mentioned yesterday, it, they, they both indicate in both these separate accounts that Abraham's family had fallen into idol worship, that they had fallen away in their faith. So if you look at it from this perspective, God calls Abraham out of his family so that because God has a redemptive purpose plan, but Abraham actually brings his family. He was supposed to go all the way to Canaan, but he stops in Haran, and they settle there. And from all accounts, uh, uh, their family, which is the last line, which is the only hope for the Messiah to come, God's redemptive purpose and plan, that whole mission is now being jeopardized. The hope of all humanity now hinges on whether or not Abraham's going to obey. Isn't that crazy? And then yesterday we read, and it's kind of a, 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 you know, that's the first time you hear it, but most believe it's, you know, and then God says, come out, you know, uh, uh, leave your family. Uh, a couple things I want you to see here um, is one, Abraham, God asks Abraham to leave his home, his country, his family, his possessions, and that God will show him to a place he will go and God will make him great. So, I mean, that's a pretty incredible you know, call. It's a pretty incredible sacrifice. And so Abraham leaves his country. Right? That's, that's huge. Abraham leaves his home. That's, that's an incredible sacrifice. But he still brings his family. Right? And so all I want you to know this morning, if, if you've never been told this before, when God gives you an assignment, when you hear a download or a prompting in the spirit, or you read the scriptures, okay, let's not neglect. You read the scriptures, and it's very clear. Doesn't matter if you think it's relevant, doesn't matter if you think it's you know archaic, God has spoken. It's in the word, it's recorded. Right? And if you get a word, if you get a download, if the spirit gives you a prompting, and we know what God wants us to do, we must follow and obey. And I want you to know this, if you've never heard this, if you've never heard this anywhere else before, and you're hearing it today for the first time, you need to know, partial obedience is not obedience. Okay? Partial obedience or selective obedience is not obedience. Right? Obeying or following half of God's assignment is, is still disobedience. And so Abraham goes and he brings his dad, he brings his family, he brings Lot. The whole family falls into the world. And, and by God's grace, uh, Abraham eventually, finally separates completely from his family. And so what's going on here in verses 8 to 9 is, I, I, just, I, I think this is really fascinating, I love it. Abraham, at one point comes to this place where like, I need to obey God. I need to follow God. I need to trust God. I know that if God is for me, no one can be against me. I know that if God's favor is on me, wherever I go, 
you know, there's going to be provision and blessing. God, God will work it out. <clears throat> and so, you know, remember, Abraham is the uh, older. He's, he's the uncle, right? Lot is the, is the nephew. And so, um, if, it says, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And so, there's this incredible land. They're both growing. Uh, their herds and properties are growing. And Abraham basically comes to the place where, you know what? There's conflict. There's strife. This is not good relationally. Lot, I'll give you first choice. You can have first choice. You choose the land and whichever, if you go to the right, I'm going to go to the left. If you go to the left, I'm going to go to the right. That's incredible. That's incredible. As, as seniority and, and you know, a, a, a namesake, whatever, you know, you would think you, you would fight for the better position. You know, inheritance, you know, if you have siblings, you know, uh, land, job opportunity, you know, prop, like you, you would scope out and, and look and ascertain for yourself what is the best, you know, potential position for yourself to gain in the long, and Abraham doesn't, he's not concerned about any of that. And the scriptures tells us that Lot, you know, then he goes, oh, he's like licking his chops. He's like, oh, I can't wait. You know, this is, this is awesome. This is like opportunity of a lifetime. Man, what a blessing. He goes out, and what does he do? What does the scriptures tell us? He goes up, he goes out, and he scopes the land, right? He uses his eyes, he uses his intellect, right? He's, he's you know, being directed by something. And he says that he saw the whole plain, the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And so he's looking at this, the prospect, Looks incredible, like it's no-brainer, right? And so he chooses that land. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east and the two uh, separated companies. Uh, well, we find out later that where Lot pitches his tent and raises his family, it's, it's so close to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, he doesn't know it then. What looked like to him like an incredible opportunity of a lifetime, not too much later, would be absolute destruction for, for everything he's vested his life in and family. Um, on the other hand, on the other side of that, you have a guy, Abram, who doesn't rely on his sight and senses and even his you know, marketplace experiences, right? And completely trusts in God for God's provision. Abram has absolute trust in God's provision. Do you guys want to know why? You guys want to know why? Right? He knows that if God goes with him, that everything will be blessed. He knows that if he goes outside of the ranch, outside of God's you know, will and presence, that all sorts of things can befall him. You know, at one point, as uh, Israel is being led through the promised land, and at one point God says to Moses, fine, you know what, you're so obstinate. You can have the blessings. You can have the promise. You can have the land that I swore, you know, that I made this covenant, but I'm not going with you. You can have all these things, but I'm not going with you, right? And then Moses is like, no way. 
no way. Right? We're not, you know, like none of this means anything without you. And so Abraham, Abraham knows that it's the anointing of God. It's the favor of God. It's the presence of God in your life that brings God's provision and God's favor. It's not the project. It's not the land. Certainly ain't your inheritance. It ain't your job. It ain't your property. Don't, don't you dare put any you know, long-term investment of yourself into those things. Those things are fleeting. Overnight, it could be gone. You may not know it. Ten years from now, all the things you're working for might be gone. Right? Abraham knows where God goes, he goes. And that's where the blessing is. And that's why he can be like, go ahead, choose. Right? The anointing, the, the favor, the presence. You want God's presence. You want to go after God's presence like nothing else. More than the promise. Right? Because we talk about promise, we talk about blessing the promised land. And Moses figured out the promise and the land ain't nothing without the presence. Right? So, so make that note. Uh, uh, make that space in your heart. Remember this. You want to always go after the presence, not the promise. Right? And that's why we pray things like, God, are you in it? Right? Have you heard that phrase? Are you in it? God, is this your will? God, is this pleasing to you? That is the most humble, most modest, most like in love, God first, I'll go where you go, prayer that you can ever pray. Are you in it? God, is this pleasing to you? Is this your will? Don't be like Lot. Don't lick your chops at an opportunity and be like, whoa, look at all these opportunities. We don't know what's 10 years you know, around the bend. Right? Far be it from us to go somewhere because we thought the promise and then we left the presence. You want to wake up every morning, every week, you want to rededicate, recommit. Am I going after God's presence? Am I seeking more of Him? I don't know if you guys have noticed this year in the fast. I, I've certainly noticed over the last couple of years. But if you guys remember, we used to always be about like, what are these, what are your prayers? And let's contend for these prayers, right? And we had we had all good, you know, everything, right? Right? And then the last couple of years, I hope you've noticed, we've been saying, let's just come and meet with God. Let's make Christ the central focus. Right? Why? Because we know if you're in the right place in the presence and the favor, all those things, you know, uh, seek, Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And so you know, I understand, you know, like, if we're not... If we don't pitch it in a way like you can pray for these things and you can get it, I understand that we may have a lower turnout. I, I, I get that, right? But those that do come and like, I want the presence, man, they're going to be blessed. And then what God does in their lives and the testimonies will have a far greater resounding effect than, hey, pray for these things, you may or may not get it. Does that make sense? Right? And usually in the past, I would always say, pray for these things. And then I always, halfway through the fast, I'd be like, hey, you guys know your prayer request has probably changed halfway through, hasn't it? Right? A lot of people pray for certain uh, material things. Not, not bad, not bad, certainly not bad. Certain breakthroughs. But then oftentimes people halfway through is like, you know what, as I'm fasting and I'm praying, 
the Lord has been doing a work in my heart, and I, I just I know that I just need more of Him, right? Um, in the scriptures, there's a lot of debate uh, in the New Testament when Jesus says, you know, I go to my you know uh, uh, Father's house uh, and I prepare a place for you, and a lot of translations NIV I think it says, you know, and, and uh, in my Father's home, you know, it, it, uh, there you know. Um, you know, there's a, a mansion. I think one of the translations is mansion. This idea of mansion. Some some interpreters wrote and, and did the best they could and said, "Oh, God's house must be king, must be big." And they just wrote in that word mansions. And so there's this idea that each of us, based off of how we live our life here, right? Like like uh, you know, merit-based, spiritually speaking, that greater is our reward. And so you know, we used to joke. Um, <laughs> Right? We used to joke, uh, uh, you know, sacrifice here, live, you know, live modest, and, and, you know, hey, when we get to heaven, I'll, you guys can all come to my place and hang out, you know, and my, I'll have a huge patio and a huge barbecue and all that stuff. Um, but the proper uh, uh, original translation closer to the original language is that he has many rooms. That there's a lot of space. It has nothing to do with the quality or the, or the, you know, whether it's a certain type of material. Does that make sense? It's not about size. It's not about how good or how better. It's just that God has a lot of space for his sons and daughters. You guys remember when you were kids, right? I, 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 we may have forgotten. Sometimes I forget, and I'm sure we've all forgotten. But as I, I hope, generally speaking, right? I, I don't make too many assumptions. That for most of us, you know, when we were kids, you know, my fondest memories as a child, you know, is just waking up as a four-year-old, five-year-old. I, I don't think I'd ever compared, you know, wh what kind of houses my cousins lived in or what types of schools or cars or material. Like, I don't think any of that, those thoughts ever came in, you know, until maybe my teens, right? But at a young age, as long as your parents were there, as long as you had a place to sleep and some good food, like you're, you're good, right? And sometimes our longing to go back home is not, it's not the house, it's not the material things per se, it's, it's this safe place, it's this zone, it's this you know, full acceptance, unconditional love, you know, full provision, you didn't have to worry about tomorrow or the next, and there's this, this place, and that's home, that's God's presence, this place, this garden, this relationship, where God says you don't have to worry about anything. Man, you're home, and I've got tons of space and many rooms. And so I just want to remind us this morning, man, that we have a home, that we have a father, that we have a presence for us eternally that, that God had always intended for us. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, I hope, I hope I can challenge you and encourage you in that way. You don't want the promise only. You don't want the land only. You always want to go after the presence. And a really good, humble prayer. If you, if you say one of these you know, prayers at least once a day throughout the day, as you're making decisions about your work, as you're making decisions about relationships, about your finances, you know, in any aspects of God, is this pleasing to you? Right? God, is this, you know, we, we say, we teach, you can hear God's voice, and we certainly believe that, and, and we'll continue teaching that, and, and you can continue refining that. Right? But, but honestly, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you don't have enough time. Sometimes you don't always get that supernatural conviction, you know, is it your will? I think you want to start, is it your will? God, are you in this? If you're in this, then, then I'm okay with it, no matter what happens, outcome, good or bad. If you're not in it, I don't want to be in it. 
And then, and then a really good one is, God, is this pleasing to you? I want to do that which is pleasing. And, and I think earnestly and honestly, a humble prayer like that, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Right? He might say, yes, absolutely, go, I delight. He might say, no, no. Or he might say, wait. Wait is also an answer. Right? A lot of times we want yes or no. It has to be one or the other. Wait is also an answer. It's probably the answer we hate the most. No, we have closure. Fine, then I'll do something else. Yes, awesome, God's in it. Wait is also a response from God. And that's the one you need to, probably most of us have to uh, learn. Um, so God continues, now raise your eyes and look from the place where you are northward. It was about 10 years um, from when Abram leaves, uh, uh, about 15 years from original home, and then, and then five years to Haran, and then five years to Canaan, and then a sum total of around 30 years from the point where God says, I'm going to make you great and your descendants uncommon. It takes about 30 years before uh, uh, Abraham and Sarai actually have a child. And so that's a lot of waiting. God gives a promise, an incredible promise. And it's exciting. How could you not think about this? Every day, every minute when God gives you a promise. Non-stop for like a month, right? And then two months. And then three months. And then you kind of forget. And then you remember. And then a year. And, and, and all those things go by. Um, we have to cling and remember that God is a promise keeper. Um, Abraham eventually would, after so much time has passed, he would um, take matters into his own hands because in his mind God is taking too long. God is not taking too long. God is, 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 is forming, is building character. God is building something in Abraham so that in the long run, things that are built can last. Um, we have to trust in God's timing. We have to believe that when God gives a promise and it doesn't happen immediately, that God has a reason. And so we have to cling, we have to hold, we have to continue to have that faith. Um, okay, so I want to go back to one point and then we'll wrap up. Uh, I mentioned very early on that partial obedience is not obedience, right? God says something, but you only do follow through halfway, right? Like mom and dad says, hey, take out the garbage. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, mom. I take out the garbage and I put it by the, you know, I take it out of the bin. So I have to tell myself I'm going to take it out, but then I forget to take it out, right? And in my mind, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. I've, I've done one step. I'm, I'm, I've listened to my mom. But at the end of the day, my mom comes home and the trash is still there. Does that make sense? Right? Partial obedience is not obedience. Um, you, you can't take lightly God's word. You cannot take lightly God's word. You cannot pick and choose. With God's words, he created the heavens and the earth, light and day. He birthed us. He gave us life. He only had to say it once. He didn't have to say it twice. And all of creation obeys. All of the cosmos obeys. And so when God speaks, and God, in God's word, it's non-negotiable. We must obey. 
Do not take lightly the words of God. Get into it. Understand it. Ask God for more revelation. Um, I like how Francis Chan says it um, in his book. Um, you know, th there's all these debates of, you know, once saved, always saved, you know, or you're saved, but you can lose your salvation. That you can make plenty of arguments for both. You know, God's work on the cross is, 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 is once and for all, for all humanity. And then some will say, well, it's only for those who actually believe in Jesus who subscribe. Okay, so there's, there's all that. You know, I, I believe, and what, I, what we teach is, you know, once saved, always saved. Um, Christ's work once and for all for those who profess the name of Jesus. I think there's plenty of places in scriptures for us to acknowledge that. Um, the question, we won't get into it now, is even if you say you're saved, how do you know you're really saved, though? That, that's, that's, that's the part, you know. If we're saved, and God says we're saved, and we profess, then, yeah, done deal, Holy Spirit seal. But then you have people who have said this and then who completely fall away, right? And so then the question we don't have to get into is, well, were they ever really saved? Were they ever, did they really ever actually really make that commitment? That's a whole other field. I don't want to hurt our brains too much this morning. Okay, it's 7, 7.25. But this is what Francis Chan says. Okay, put all that aside for a second, okay? Put all that aside for a second. Scriptures is very clear. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And this is what Francis Chan says. There's sheep and then there's goats. Sheeps do, do what the shepherds say. And goats do not. So on that last day, there's going to be sheeps and goats. So, you know, what I usually teach is fruits of the Spirit. First of all, it's none of our business, none of our business, not my job, not your job, to say whether or not this person or that you know, saved or not, right? That, leave that up to God, right? But as a discipler, as someone who has to appoint leaders, you know, we look for fruits, fruits of the Spirit. They're quite evident, and they should be quite juicy, you know, for spiritual leaders, right? And so uh, that's what happens. Jesus goes, and he goes to the, you know, to the temple, and nothing is happening there. People are not praying. They're selling money and exchanging goods. Then he goes out. He, the scriptures shows you that he goes, and it's almost like he wants to do something, but then he leaves. He, he has to go somewhere with his team, his disciples. On the way, he's hungry. He sees a fig tree, and he goes to it to get fruit. There's no fruit. And he curses it. He says, may no one ever eat from this plant or tree ever again. Right? And so if you look closely, the, 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 it's not coincidence. Jesus goes to the temple. There's no fruit. These people are acting like they're religious people. And he wants to do something, but he has another appointment. So he goes. He's hungry. He wants to eat. There's this fig tree. There's leaves, but there's no fruit. Generally speaking, uh, one of the commentaries I read is... Figs only have leaves in season when, when there should be fruit. So when you see a fig without leaves, it's an imposter. It's fake. And so he curses it. He says, let no one ever eat from this again. He's talking about the whole Pharisaic religious institution. Right? It looks like it should have fruit, but it has no fruit. I'm, 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 I'm done with this. this. This system, this wineskin is no more. And then the next day he comes back and he overturns the, the tables and he says, this, this place is supposed to be a house of prayer. What are you guys doing? Right? And... Um, and so, so fruits, we have to live in obedience. We have to obey the word of God. Don't settle, don't settle for I'm saved. And one day my eternal soul is gonna live in paradise. And until then, you know, I just, I, you know, uh, 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 
discomfort prevention is like our mandate, right? Forget that, man. Forget that auto cruise pilot thing, man. You know, hack that, right? Obey, follow, presence. Lord, more of you. Amen. Let's have uh, Rachel come up. And he's going to lead us in a worship. Think about this for a second. The universe obeys his every word. And God gives you a choice. God gives you free will. My invitation for us this morning is to come before God and declare his goodness, declare his purposes. We understand the full weight and brunt of judgment that he has taken upon himself. He now asks us, not under force, not under manufacture, he now invites us to respond, God to choose to love Him, to choose to follow Him. He doesn't force, He doesn't make. He's given us this choice. And so let's stand, let's rise, and let's respond this morning with the fullness of our will, with the fullness of our own volition, with the fullness of all the many things we could pursue in our lives. Today, we choose God. Today, we declare His goodness. And so let's respond in praise.